You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today I have Nabil Aziz. He is the owner of Dropkick Copy. He is a master copywriter and has written for pretty much every niche under the sun. Uh, so Nabil has a ton of experience writing copy for a lot of different niches in direct response and e-commerce. And today we're going to talk about you know his transition into copy, things that he's doing. Uh, Nabil also has a very interesting mastermind uh, that we're going to talk about. And most interestingly, and uh, something that I get a lot of is, you know, copywriters from places outside of the U.S. that are writing U.S. copies. So Nabil is going to give us his insights on that and, you know, how uh, how business works outside of the U.S. when you're working with Americans. So thank you so much, Nabil, for joining us. And obviously, I gave a very quick intro, so I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit more about your company and, you know, your copy and, and what you're doing with your mastermind. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Maria. You. I've been writing copy for, I think, the past seven years now. Um, I think like five of them have been full-time. And I run a little boutique copywriting studio with my brother. Uh, most of our clients, um, you know, pretty much all of our clients are sort of like in the internet marketing space, like online business, coaching, consulting, agency types. Um, we have had, you know, clients in the SaaS space, um, in the real estate investing space, that kind of thing. Uh, and mostly what we do for them are, um, you know, direct response type stuff. Uh, and it would be like, you know, most, mostly email marketing, um, like funnel copy, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, not that many, not, not that much long form stuff, even though we do write some long form sales pages from time to time. Uh, but that's that's the business. We haven't really had found like a niche of of of, of any sort. Um, but yeah, that's that's the the agency side of things. And then I have a, a mastermind, a training, a program slash a membership community for copywriters, uh, specifically from the global south. So that's how I positioned it. And yeah. I also have a, a newsletter slash media company that is more like a content type business for Muslim men uh, called Muslim man. Uh, and then the membership community is called copy skills. Okay. Wow. So you got, you got a lot going on there, Nabil. You're, you're, you're a busy guy. Um, you, you've mentioned a couple of things, so I'm just going to dive in, you know, on, on, on a hot topic that, you know, we get a lot of questions of like, Direct Paynet, we get people merchant accounts, right? So we get to see a lot of different offers, different copies. I work with a lot of different departments. And the one thing that we get a lot of is like non-US residents that, you know, want to get, for example, a merchant account in the US for their offer and stuff like that. And that's always a big challenge, right? It's it's on the banking side without getting into the logistics of it. Getting a merchant account in the US, if you're not American, it's a little bit tough. There's a lot of hoops you have to, you have to go through. Um, so I'm just hoping that you can tie in like, you know, maybe a little bit of your background. You told me earlier that you're from Sri Lanka, born and raised. Um, so obviously your English is spot on. And you mentioned that, you know, it's very common in Sri Lanka for people to have English as their first language. Uh, but I'm curious how, like, how did you break in to the U.S. market being a non-American, right? Like, was it, a little bit of a play on rates, like you were charging less at the beginning to kind of get in, or what 
what kind of proof can you give somebody um, that's American, that's creating an offer that needs copy to, to show them that you, you're going to do just as good, if not better than, than an American? Um, that's an interesting question, actually, because it's been, <laughs> it's been so long. I don't even remember how <laughs> I ended up with all of these Americans, because all of my clients are American. I only have one client in the, like from like the UAE where I live. Uh, and that's a friend of mine. We've been like working together for a long time. But everybody and he's else American. is American. No, <laughs> no he's <laughs> yeah. oh, he's Indian. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So that's uh, I I don't even remember. I think it's because, um, and this is like like if I found out if I was just starting out or like to to give advice to a copywriter just starting out, it's like the wrong advice to give. But I started out with content marketing because like I had a like a, I had a full time job. And I was doing copywriting on the side. So I didn't have to, like, I didn't need the clients. Okay. Um, and I didn't need to charge, like, lowball rates to get the clients so that I can, like, get into this full-time copywriting thing. It was only after I quit my 9 to 5 that I went into copywriting full-time. And even then, I didn't start, I didn't do it the right way. I just kept producing content. Okay. And then... You know, you 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 know, you keep posting on Facebook every day, every other day or whatever, and then you keep adding friends like from Facebook groups and stuff. And then most of the most of them are American. Uh, and then like suddenly one day, like, you know, you get an inbound inquiry and then you end up with like a, your first client. So like I'm like the worst person to come to for client acquisition advice because I there was no method to me getting clients okay. and by and by now like it's been so long that you know most of the clients come in through referrals and word of mouth anyways yeah um but uh in, in my case it was the way that i could get them to trust me that i can actually write for them is you know because they've seen me producing like publishing content you know i i've been you know i've had an email list for like seven seven plus years um and i've been emailing that list daily for like seven plus years so they can see my body of work. And like, if I tell them I'm Sri Lankan, um, they think it's like weird because I talk like in my writing is very American. Uh, okay. And there's no hint of like, you can't tell that I'm not, I'm like not from America. Do you and watch a lot of America? Of... Sorry to cut you off. I'm just curious. Do you like, how does one who you mentioned earlier, like we were talking before that, you know, you're born and raised in Sri Lanka. You, you lived in the U S for just a couple of years. And then since then you've been living in Dubai. So how does somebody, because that is a disconnect actually that I have that you just mentioned is sometimes the pop culture side of things is something that I find non-American writers don't get, you know, like they don't understand maybe the nuances of like, making a joke that's in reference to like a friends episode or, or like something like that. So do you watch a lot of Ameri American TV and that's how you're able to kind of stay in tune with that? Or like, what's your, what's your trick with that? That definitely helps. So like, I mean, I was raised on like American kind of TV. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, we used to watch Knight Rider growing up <laughs> or the Highlander Highlander TV series or whatever. Uh, I remember like, Star Trek Next Generation, we, that would be on TV. Um, and yes, I do consume a lot of like US media. Um, but it's just like, it's like, I've always sort of written like this. Uh, and there's no, there was no like point where I was sounding like uh, a non-US person, like or non-US copywriter. And suddenly I figured out a way how to sound like a US, like a, like a US based copywriter or somebody who speaks native US English. Okay. Um, what I found is that 
and it, it, it doesn't really matter now because not like even if you sound like you're from Nigeria when you write English, you can just put that into ChatGPT or AI. We're going to talk probably going to talk about AI in a second, but you can get AI to uh, like copy edit your copy and give you back something that sounds like it's written by a native um, like a native American English speaker. I did that for like an Australian piece of copy as well. Like, hey, could you rewrite this? Like they give, like I get the email back, right? And then I say, okay, now can you rewrite this um, to sound like an Australian who's writing it and include Australian idiom and slang? And I even posted it on my Facebook. Hey, I asked uh, ChatGPT to write me an email in Australian. What do you guys think? And obviously it was like totally over the top. With like, it's like no Australian would speak that way. Okay. But then I could take out the like the too much stuff and like leave with like just leave just a hint of Australian in it. So it okay. sounds like an Australian wrote it, even though I don't speak Australian English. Yeah. Uh, and that is like a like a really really big equalizer for like uh, ESL speakers, so they speak English as a second language. And um, it 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 used to be that if your English wasn't that great in terms of like not coming off as a native, you would have to probably get somebody to copy edit your work or yeah. proofread your work. And, you know, you'd have to hire somebody to do that for you. But now it's just, you put it into chat GPT and it's going to come back as if, as if Maria wrote it. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, we're obviously with copy with copy AI is always a hot topic and, you know, like people thinking they're getting replaced and so forth. And I've already kind of stated my stance on that is like, you can only get replaced if you have no skill, you know what I mean? If you have no skill, then obviously if you've just been writing crappy ass copy and charging like, you know, 30 bucks on uh Fiverr for like a, uh, you know, a thousand words, then yeah, obviously you're going to be replaced. I mean, that's kind of a given, but you would have been replaced anyway by somebody who's more talented or, or whatever the case is. Now, uh, the interesting thing that you said is, you know, there there is a world outside of the U.S. So I find for for a lot of non, um, you know, English as a second language or, or non-native uh, U.S. English speakers, there are other markets. You said Australia, there's the U.K. There, you know, you can find yourself a little niche in in the different English speaking countries that also pay just as well as the U.S. Um, and then use chat GPT to kind of get yourself uh, up there in terms of like sounding like that specific culture, because, you know, when we speak English, as we were talking earlier, you can be speaking English in the UK and have a very different Northern, you know, British English to Southern British English. So really knowing your, your market and so forth. So do you find that chat GPT is simple in terms of using for for this type of thing like how i because the thing is when i read a lot about chat gpt and i use it just for basic stuff uh i have writers so i don't use it as much they use it more but it sounds like the prompts have to be like almost like a paragraph in order to get what you're looking for, which seems cumbersome to me, but I'm just curious like what is the prompting mechanism that you use or how do you get chat GPT to work the way you want it to work. Yeah, there's so there's those uh, there's those super prompts that people use that are like sometimes two thousand words long. But uh, in order to do this, it doesn't it doesn't um, require that uh, complicated that you know prompting style. You just say 
uh, if I give you, you, you can, it's, it's all of, sort of like a conversation. It's like, Hey, uh, can I give you this piece of copy? And then you make it sound like an American wrote it and ChatGPT is going to say, yeah. And so you, you copy paste the copy, uh, and then you can give it additional instructions. Like, uh, you know, please write with a flesh Kincaid score of three or at a third grade, uh, third grade school level. Um, and, um, include American slang. An idiom, and it'll do that for you. Um, okay. you. You can tell it to use emojis, um, and it's it's not it's not that complicated. It's just like it's just a conversation mm-hmm. back and forth. And then every time you like, if you you know, it doesn't have to be perfect uh, the first time. You can say, okay, um, this this looks good. Can you change this part about it? And then it'll give you another output. And then you can keep on going until you get the the output you want. So it sounds like you use it, I think, a little bit opposite than what I hear. Instead of using it as your first draft, you make your own first draft and then use it for editing kind of thing. Is that you? Do you find that's a better use case than getting it to kind of give you the first draft and then you edit? Well, what I was explaining is for a non-native English speaker okay. who has trouble sounding like, you know, a native English speaker. Yeah. And so they have, you know, they're writing English. It's grammatically correct English. Yeah. But you can tell it's written by somebody who's not from not. your country, yeah. right? Uh, and so in order for them to make that sound like it was written by a native English speaker. To okay. Get rid of- how, how do you, I'm just curious, how do you use it though? Like, do you use it for writing your first draft sometimes? Like just to kind of get some ideas flowing or do you use it also for more editing for different things? I don't use it. Oh, you I don't, don't use, use it. it. Like okay. For, for, like for most of my stuff, I don't use it. Uh, yeah. But when I do use it, it's more to like save time. Okay. Uh, so like, for example, like I was doing this thing for a client. Um, he's he, like, he's launching a bunch of e-com, like single product e-com stores. Yeah. Um, and it's like affiliate marketing. So I don't need to like build a hard, like a solid relationship with the subscriber. And it's like affiliate traffic as well. So like, it's more like a churn and burn kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't need to have like super on point copy. And so what I did was I just fed the sales page to ChatGPT, mm-hmm. and then I asked it, "Hey, tell me, give me, uh, give me pain points uh, for somebody who might be interested in buying this product." And ChatGPT will give you like pain points, and then uh, you tell it, "Okay, now could you please give me ten ideas for emails that I could write to sell this product based on your pain points?" And your ideas could be. Um, uh, entertaining, curiosity-based, offer-based, um, educational, and it'll give you like a bunch of different ideas. Uh, and then you, you end up with like 10 ideas. And then you say, okay, now give me an, a draft for email one, which is could be like a promotional email that focuses on the 50% off offer. And it'll give you the draft. Um, and then, okay, you, you get, you see the draft and say, okay, uh, this is fine. I want you to like not start uh, an email with imagine if or imagine that you could. Okay, and it'll rewrite the draft for you. Uh, you can also do something like I want you to put a hard return between your uh, between the subject line and the preview text, or I, or you can say I want you to format the email in a particular way. Okay. Um, and you know if it's missing a postscript, you can say okay now add a postscript with a testimonial from the sales page. Um, and then you, you you tweak it and it tends to remember the instructions that you give. 
so that eventually once you end up with the final email that you use, now the next sales page that you that you try or the next email that you write, the output output will come back much closer to the one that you want originally. And so so then what I do is I take that output and then it's still not perfect um, for a direct response email. And then I'll just like I'll cut out some bits or I'll edit some bits and then the email that's that's what the email that email goes into the automation. It sounds like as a non-copywriter, it's it makes the process longer, uh, to be honest. Like it just sounds like, oh, I prompted this, do this, do that. So I mean, it just again, I'm not a copywriter, but like if you practice your skill in copy, would it not be more efficient than using a tool like you know, chat GPT. I feel like maybe for idea generation, it's cool, but like for it editing, I feel like you're prompting at this and then prompting at that and then prompting at this and then prompting it. Like, what if you just do it yourself? Like, like old school, just write it out, you know? So I, I, this is a two-part question. Number one, did it make your work longer? And then number two, when did AI disappoint you? When did something go wrong with with you using AI? Because we all hear about these great stories about, oh, it came out with all this copy that I'm sure like you've fallen flat on your face at least once with all the copy that you're writing with AI that would like kind of disappointed you. So I'm just curious about that. Yeah. So in this case, the example that I'm describing to you, it it uh, made made the work faster. Okay. Because um, once you once you get the initial workflow of it down. And once you've described, like once you figure out, okay, these are the steps that I need, or this is how I need need the prompt to look, and this is how I need to, you know, to give it instructions uh, to format the email for me. Like the first one is the one that takes the longest, like the first sales page. Yeah. But then, like every sales page after that is just like one click, mm. um, at, right? And so when you're doing uh, emails for thirty stores, uh, just imagine like going through, like reading reading the sales page for like 30 stores and then just, you know, thinking, you know, usually like a copywriter will usually take a nap uh, to help him come up with ideas. So like that increases the time, right? In this case, I didn't even have to read the sales page. I was just like, Hey, read the sales page. What are the pain points? Okay. Now you, okay, you gave me the pain points. I could even condense that into me and make it even shorter with just like one prompt, which is how you get those 2000 word prompts. Right. Wow. Uh, but I was trying to do it in a more like, um, like systematic way in order to minimize the like minimize the error that ChatGPT could do might could potentially create by giving me the wrong output, um, and so I was doing it in a conversational way. But you can do it in that in that two thousand prompt style way, and it'll give you like you know you can ask it for ten emails at once, and it'll do, it'll do that for you. Okay. Um, so where I haven't seen it in a situation where it it doesn't like it doesn't it. For me, it never really falls. It's not that it falls flat on its face. It's that it's just not something that I would want to write, like write, or it's not something that I would want to submit to a client. Maybe my prompting is not that good yet. It could be mm -hmm. bad because I'm not like super, like a, a crazy expert with AI. Uh, but for the example that I described, the outputs were like fairly decent with few minor edits, like they turn into fairly decent direct response emails. Um, and sometimes you'll get an output where is something that you totally would not want to write, but there's a kernel in there that gives you an idea for a piece of copy that you could write. Mm. Um, and you can, you can feed it ideas. Uh, and I did that one time I was writing an email. It's, you know, to sell flowers. It's like a fl uh, online flower shop. 
And so it's, it's, there's not much direct response you can do there. It's like, like yeah. what, what fucking, you know, what the fuck kind of benefits can you write about, you know, or what, like what bullets can you they write about? They smell good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be stinky. Right? So, exactly. So I had this idea, because um, the, the, the flowers have these kinds of names, right? Uh, like Coral Beach or, you know, cor- like Coral coral Cliffs or whatever, uh, right? And so I had this idea for this couple they're going you know they're 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 visiting this place that they visited the first time they started dating and he they're on their like whatever anniversary and then he presents her with these flowers um as as a gift right and so i put this idea in some kind of prompt into chat gpt and it gave me an output back which is totally unusable but there was like one line in that output that I took and I turned into a, uh, an email that I could use, right? Oh, wow. uh, and so it, it's useful in that sense as well, because it what it does is get it's get it get rid gets rid of that like staring at the blank page uh, issue. Um, I, it sounds like it's almost like you have a group of people. Like before, you'd call a couple of friends and try to you know uh, think something out, talk out loud, you know, share ideas, and then it would give you like, oh yeah, like that kind of moment where now you can you know open up ChatGPT and you're having kind of conversation with them, and then it could just spark something that okay, I should focus on this type of idea and so forth. So you know, obviously, that it, it sounds like it's a net positive uh, for you. I'm curious, kind of discussing about you know chat gpt and long form short form you don't focus on a niche right you said you 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 work on a whole bunch of different niches but you did mention that you do more kind of like email short form copy do you think that like somebody starting out in the industry should maybe not necessarily focus on a niche but focus on one type of style writing and why did you choose email uh it seems like it seems like i will say full disclosure it seems like email is what everybody's promoting now in terms of copy it's like oh i'm an email copywriter i'm an email copy i'm i'm not hearing very many long form so i feel like i would be a contrarian and be like i'm going to be the long form copywriter uh just to be different but like why focus on email and how how easy is it for you to say if somebody says, hey, I want to hire you to build to write me a sales letter? Is that something that you would say yes to or no, I'm only comfortable with email? I mean, it is something that I would say yes to. Okay. Uh, it's not that like what, you know, if you want me to write a piece of copy, I'll write you a piece of copy. No big, no big deal. And I have written like, like entire packages before. So it's like not something that's going to be difficult to do. Um, and the reason why I ended up mostly doing email is just that's how like, you know, you get a client and you get another client and then you get a reputation. And, you know, if well, most of your clients come from referrals, like that's how, how they're recommending you. Right. Okay. So like I'll have an, I'll have a client where, for example, I'm, you know, handling not just their emails, but all of their organic content. Right. And maybe that client runs a mastermind and, you know, the mastermind attendees are talking and it's like, Hey man, uh, you know, I love your emails. Uh, who, who, who do you like? Who writes your emails? Or who writes your copy? Oh, it's it's Nabil. And then they get referred to you for, and they might need a help with an email copywriter. So that's one one email copywriter. Then you do another good job for them, and they rec- recommend you to another person. Um, you know, and you end up just having a bunch of like email copywriting clients, and that's okay. what your case studies end up as. And so now, like, you're now the email marketing guy, even though, like, you never intended to end up with that niche. 
But the okay. reason why uh, email marketing is being promoted a lot is because um, it's easy to e- easy to fulfill. Uh, a lot of people don't do a lot with email, uh, even though like you know, like if you're in the direct response space, like like email is our bread and butter, right? That's where like the money is made. But a lot of like, you know, course creators, coaches, like, you know, you'd be surprised at how little they do with email, even if they're spending like a shitload of money on paid traffic, like their, their CRM is like 10,000 contacts that they haven't emailed past the, like, whatever the fuck follow-up sequence that they have for their webinar funnel. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you, they might email them like once a month if their, if their sales team's uh, calendar is dry. Um, and so like, you just show up and said like, you know, an email a week and suddenly you're like adding like 30 to 50 K of additional revenue because they never used to email their list. Uh, and so it's easy to fulfill. A lot of people aren't doing a lot with email. Um, and it's also easy to teach, right? Cause like, and, and not only that, like if I'm reaching out to you, Maria, and I'm saying, Hey Maria, I'm a long form copywriter. I'll write you a nice sales letter for direct pay, direct pay net. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Direct pay net. Um, like and I'm coming in cold off of the street, right? Like, who the fuck am I? Like, why would you trust me with such a critical piece of copy? That's so like, what? Like, and it, I, it also, you have sometimes um, copywriters, new copywriters will position themselves as launch copywriters. Uh, you have to understand how how these uh, these jobs are hired out, right? You're not gonna go. Uh, give give such a give your like your launch package to somebody who came in as a cold email or a cold yeah. dm right you're going to talk to your mass especially if you're a serious entrepreneur you're going to talk to your mastermind members uh you know people you you know in, are in coaching programs with hey i've got a launch coming up um i need some copyright written who do you know who did you who wrote your copy and so that's how uh, you know, those jobs are sold uh, are given out. Uh, and so it's much harder to, if you're a new copywriter, just to get a job as, you know, a long form, writing a long form sales page. Even though if you do know how to write long form sales pages, pretty much every piece of copy, uh, it becomes much easier. Uh, because once you have the sales page, you pretty much have every other piece of copy that you could probably write because it's like yeah. just tiny, like micro pieces of the you're sales. You're taking page snippets of it and making it an email. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Um, and so that's why you have a lot of people, uh, you know, trying to be email copywriters or coaches trying to teach email email copywriting. Um, it's it's more it's more like a sort of like an infrastructure issue. And on top of that, it's like it's hard to teach people how to write a long form sales page, um, you know, in a coaching program or or in a course. Well, I mean, Especially the one thing that I can money. say, the one thing that I can say as a business owner, and you know, working with different people for, I mean, I have more. I don't have like direct response copywriting in my company. I see obviously a lot of my clients uh, that use copywriters for different things. But the one thing that, you know, I get, I get pitched a lot. Everybody does. I think these days Um, I do like when people kind of manage the whole thing because I did have, um, I should say, I should email my list too. More often, I'm one of those that you're talking about that like once every like three months or maybe less, like really bad. But because um, we focus on social media, podcasting, content, all that, but it's it's a bad excuse. I, I know email is like a very easy channel when you have people on your list. Um, but I do find that a lot of uh, people that I've used and I've tested, they send me like a Google Doc with the emails 
you lost me. You just lost me. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do now. I have to go into like active campaign and create things and it's like no thanks you know like I, I like I have zero interest I like I do feel like there's a value add when people at least learn some of technology some of the technology or some of the bigger ESPs and stuff just so you can they can be able to say look I'll come in I'll set it up you know you you're not going to get you know, uh, you're not going to get banned, you know, cause that's another thing that I'm always worried about is like, you know, somebody's going to take my email just and ban me. And then like, I'm going to get screwed with my business. That's always a huge, like trust factor, right? Like, especially like my company, for example, we've been around for 13, 14 years. Um, you know, you take my email and then you, you, you destroy it. That, that's a big problem. You know what I mean? That is a big, big problem for us. So that always gets me to hesitate, but it always surprised me when, you know, you hire somebody for any type of copy and they just give you a Google doc. They don't offer to kind of like, let me get this live for you. Let me kind of get it from the 80, 90% to a hundred percent done. Um, so I'm curious, like in your opinion, like how important is learning tech and learning tools and how would you go about learning the essential th things that would make you desirable for, 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 a, for a business? It's more important when you're new and trying to break into the industry. Okay. Like if, you know, if, if Dan Kennedy sends you a, or Google Doc, you're like you're just gonna shut the fuck up and find somebody to implement it for you. Yeah. Right? Uh, but if it's like if if you if you've never heard of me, like I'm some no name copywriter, I say, hey Maria, um, I noticed that you I'm on your email list. Uh, I randomly subscribed, and I noticed that you don't send any emails out. Uh, you know, let me take care of that for you. I'll I'll write the emails. I'll schedule the emails. I'll even set up your automations. I'll set up your engagement tagging. I'll even do like a warm-up campaign for you so that we warm up your list properly so that nothing's going to spam. Um, and I'll just basically, I'll take the entire thing off of your plate. Now it's much more interesting, right? And so that is something that you might want to learn as, as a copywriter that's going to make it easier for you to get your foot in the door. So it's like it's it's, it's like skill stacking, right? Because uh, out of like copywriting is just like one micro skill there's other skills on top of that, right? So if you're like, if you're a Facebook ads copywriter, just writing the ad copy is one thing, but understanding how to write, you know, a compliant Facebook ad, how do you like how to pick creatives, how to targeting, exactly how to set up, uh, how to set up a like a, a funnel that's more likely to control uh, to convert on Facebook. There's all of those micro skills that go into, you know, running ads uh, that convert on Facebook. And so if you know, if you have those skills, um and you know that makes makes it much easier for you for you for your a, resume but job. what i think you just did in the bill is you just told every copywriter listening here and everybody um you know that, that could take a few tips like write down exactly what Nabil said polish it up and that should be your email to get people to want to work with you <laughs> you literally said step by step i'll do this i'll do this and i'll do this that's what business owners want like i'm I'm talking about myself but i, I work with a ton of business owners and you see my eyes glaze over when somebody says i'm going to do this but you're gonna you're gonna have no 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 no. i like dfy done for you i don't want to do anything if i'm hiring somebody i want you to take the baton and do it all to the end and then come back with the results. I don't want to, as soon as like, as, as a business owner, as soon as I, I get pitched and says, and you're gonna, no, you lost me already. I like those two words. You're gonna, no, I'm, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I am like 
I, I'm I'm Canadian. We play a lot of hockey here. I'm like a goaltender with my time. Like, don't, don't, no, no, no. Don't ask me to do anything else. I'm not doing it. I'm just going to focus on what I do because I know what I do. And, and you know, you got to know what you do. So um, that that's, you know, that's very interesting. And it, it is, you know, resume stacking, knowing the more, you know, like for me in, in, in merchant accounts, it's like, okay, I work with supplements. I work with adult. I work with this. I, I have experience in all these different industries. So I'm more well-rounded for whoever comes to me. They can count on me for different things. I think it's the same thing for anything you do. You can't just learn one skill and say, again, unless you're like a Dan Kennedy or somebody that that has a name, you got to be able to keep adding more ESPs, you know, more tech, you know, more, uh, you know, prompting for AI, all this stuff and your network. Um, I am curious, you know, we were talking about your mastermind and so forth. Uh, There's, you know, do you, is this catering specifically to English second language people? And what makes your mastermind different? Because again, uh, one thing that became very popular during the pandemic was masterminds. Like people were just like, and then there, and then there was people that were joining like three or four or five or six, very little value comes out of joining that many, in my opinion, I think strategically one where you feel tied that you can create like a network effect for yourself is good. But can you tell me a little bit about your mastermind and what makes it different and why, you know, who would join this type of mastermind? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, there's so many copywriting coaching programs and masterminds and and courses and things like that, right? So like every copywriter, as soon as they get a little bit of success, it's like, okay, now I'm going to start coaching (laughs) other copywriters. Like you you barely, like you barely hit six figures a year. Now you're coaching. Oh, I made $10,000. Let me start coaching people. No, no, exactly. (laughs) So that's a that's a problem. That's one problem, right? Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have the actual experts who have their own coaching programs, but they're all uh, there's no different differentiator between them. You're in SaaS, right? So you understand uh, feature parity, right? Um, and so when you have a lot of competitors and they all have the same features, uh, the one that stands out is that the, is the one that tells the best story, right? And so while copy skills is uh, a, a training program or a coaching program or a membership community for copywriters. Uh, the story that we're telling is, is that it's uh, a training program for copywriters from the global South. And okay. once I position it that way, that makes a lot of decisions for me. So now I can't charge $20,000 for uh, like for a year, like Alan Sultanic charges for fast forward, even though like his is the, like the Rolls Royce of, of masterminds in copywriting. Um, and eventually, like, if you want, like, once you graduate from copy skills and you're successful, like you would want to join fast, fast forward, right? Um, I can't do that with copy skills if I'm targeting global South copywriters. And so the pricing has to be, uh, uh, in, in accordance with that positioning. And also the, whether or not we have live coaching calls has to be, uh, in accordance with that positioning, because like we have we have members from all over the world, um, and usually with these copywriting programs, the coaching calls are always at a time where it's convenient for the the founder or the coaches, which is like usually like EST US time, right? <laughs> One like PM EST. EST. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the standard. And then you end up exactly, and then you end up like like Pauline Longden, who's like up at three o'clock in the morning calling into her Paris Lampropolis coaching call, right? And like, what are you going to do? It's Paris fucking Lampropolis, right? <laughs> so 
you, I mean, you wake up at three o'clock and you do the coaching call, right? And so we don't do that in copy skills. There's like almost no coaching calls. Like everything happens asynchronous, remote and asynchronous. There's no point having it remote unless it's asynchronous. Yeah. And so the way we do the coaching is is, is in line with the position, right? Uh, and if we do have calls, right? Because most of our members are in the Eastern Hemisphere, like the calls are timed in such a way that it's convenient for those people to actually show up to a call to the call yeah. at a decent hour. Like they don't they don't have to show up at calls at midnight. Or I'll do two calls, like one in the AM and one in the PM, so that because we have global members, like everybody in like Eastern or Western Hemisphere can attend. And so yeah. once you have that, once you once you have that story right figured out, then like your bit your the way you set up the the mastermind or the business or whatever it is it sort of it the, the positioning makes those decisions for you mm-hmm. and so that's what copy skills is it's it's uh it's the only training program for global south copywriters i mean we're the only ones that focus on like specific things like okay you're a global south copywriter in in you know, fucking timbuktu somewhere and how do you actually get paid how do you physically get the client's money into your bank account Oh yeah, it's literally it's fucking no, impossible. That is a like, big challenge, though. I I don't want you to discount that. Like, I get questions because obviously I'm, I I get merchant accounts for people, but I get a lot of banking questions, and I'm very good with banking, and I can help people with like different like just advice. I don't. It's actually not my business. It's just obviously with merchant accounts, it's very tied into banking because we got to put the money somewhere. Um, so it kind of goes one for one, and a huge challenge, especially in third world countries with people working in the States. It's like, great. Let's say you're, you're in, uh, in East Africa. Um, great. You got a client that's willing to pay you $3,000 to do it. How are you going to get that $3,000? Like, how are you physically going to be able to get, because, you know, the U S has a lot of sanctions with different countries in Africa that people don't realize, even if it's not like your, your standard Iran, Iraq, and all that, there's other countries that could have some issues. And Number two, it could be just difficult for the person like credit cards are so widely used. But if you don't have a credit card and you're there like or, or you don't have a Stripe account or you don't like how how is the logistics of it? You know, so that is a that's a big issue that it's it's like you could be a great copywriter. You can have clients waiting in line. But if you don't know how to actually collect the money, big problem. So that's a great that's a great thing for um for people to kind of realize that joining some of these groups maybe has like a side benefit of like other people that are cuz if you're in a group with all Americans and you're in Asia, well, you can't ask this question. They're going to be like, "Yeah, just get the guy to PayPal you." You know, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, so you have to you have to be with people in your situation so you can get some some good advice, right? So that's interesting. You mentioned Alan Sultanic, the great Alan Sultanic who's who's uh who who was on my podcast um and I I learned like a ton from him. He's, you know, obviously a genius and and very very intelligent in terms in the world of marketing and Pauline as well uh was on my podcast we're going to link uh the episodes down below guys these are you know experts in copy and marketing and so forth so you should listen to those episodes as well as nabil's but um it's funny that you mentioned you know these two specific people uh both both very successful pauline is the australian uh, copy, but she writes for Americans. And when, you know, I've read some of her copy, I've followed, uh, Pauline and it's, you can't tell, you can't tell she's a woman, a man or whatever, you know, like you, 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 and that's, that's, that's a gift for, um, that that's a gift for some people that they can, 
they can be different genders, they can be different political affiliations, they can be, you know, and that's to me is, is a testament of, you know, her skill and uh, like people who are good copywriters, you know, that they can, they can write for right wing, left wing, man, woman, uh, transgender, anything, you know, just like you can just get into their heads, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, other than those challenges, like in terms of copy, um, in your group, like, what is it that you're focusing on is, are people just like asking questions and getting answers? Are you actually doing copy reviews and giving people like actually concrete feedback on their copy? Yeah. So we do, uh, a once a month office hours where they can show up and ask anything. I do it. I do two sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So everybody can show up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, it's like, okay, I, I, if I, if I see that there's like not a lot of, uh, attendance, um, it's just going to stay at once a month. But if like, if I see people showing up and there's a lot of people asking questions, like I might increase that to you know more than, more than once a month, but we do, we have once a month office hours happens at two sessions, uh, AM and PM so that pretty much everybody can attend. They can come and ask anything they want. But other than that, it's sort of set up like a like a forum. I use uh, the, the community platform I use is Circle, and so okay. we have different channels for like cold outreach, uh, copy critiques, uh, ask us anything, uh, uh, guest lectures, courses that we have uploaded, and so like whatever questions they have, they ask and they get an answer back. Or if they, if they need feedback on copy, um, they just sub submit their copy, and I'll I'll add. Uh, notes in the document or I'll leave a comment or I'll record a screen share and give them feedback that way. I've been thinking about, I just re recently reread uh, copy logic uh, and I might start doing the peer review system uh, it, to give them feedback on their copy. Uh, I don't, do you know what the peer review system is? I mean, I'm assuming it's just your peers reviewing your copy, uh, vice versa, but you, you not, not mm -hmm. specifically. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a little bit different than the scientific peer review that most people are familiar with. Right. So it's, it's just a way that you can come together quickly and it doesn't have to be copywriters. It could be anybody in the company, right. It could be even like the janitor. Um, cause what you're trying to find out is does your, your headline and lead, uh, have emotional appeal to get like enough emotional appeal that you'll continue to read the rest of the promo. Okay. And that's like the main, the main focus. And there's like a few other bits and pieces, but the, what the cop, the peer review system does is it removes uh, the necessity for me to give you feedback on your copy. It's more, and it doesn't depend on my expertise. What it is, is it's an emotional gut reaction on whether or not your headline and lead are interesting enough or emotional, have an, have an appeal emotional enough to get me to keep reading. Hmm. And so I don't need to be, I don't need to be an expert copywriter to give you that feedback. Right. Yeah. And so it's rated on a scale of like one to four. Like the book was written by Michael Masterson, who's like, you know, Mark Ford, or whatever his name is, but like, he's the guy behind Agora or one of the founders of Agora. And so that system is, it's like a scale of one to four. One is like, I would totally not, read the read the promo after this uh it'll just go into garbage and four is like i would i'm definitely reading this i want to see what happens right okay. and so it's a, and so it, it it doesn't it that when it, when you do the feedback that way it it depersonalizes the feedback so it's not like i'm saying your copy is shit 
it's just like a one to four number. And on top of that, it's coming from several people. And also it's not like uh it's not like coming from the copy chief himself. It could be like the you know the 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 admin person or the receptionist who's telling you like okay i probably wouldn't read this um uh, and so it makes it easier for the copywriter to to get the feedback and to improve faster because uh, okay. also what happens is that um everybody who's involved in the peer review has to give suggestions on how to improve the copy so like you might have um you know you might have a headline that's like a two out of four and then you get a couple of suggestions that make it a three out of four, right? And the suggestions are coming from everybody, and uh, and then you rate the suggestions, and then okay, if the if the, if the rating is like, you know, passes a certain limit, then you, you go ahead and you make those changes. And, okay. and so I'm thinking of introducing that inside copy skills so that it takes um, it takes a lot of the focus off of me as the guy like that they're looking to as you know the guru or whatever to critique their copy. Uh, yeah. And I want to make this like more of like a collaborative thing where yeah. it's the other copies learning how to give each other feedback uh, and in turn, they're learning themselves. Uh, so that's like a common. I think it's important. And like, it's, it's also important to get like, not just people who are like you to read your copy in the sense of like, you know, give it to somebody like me, for example, that's not a copywriter. And if I'm like, this is boring as hell. I don't want to read this. Well, I mean, maybe I can't give you exactly positioning, but I'm telling you this sucks because I don't want to read it. So fix it. Make make me want to read this, you know? So whatever it is, obviously, as an as a copywriter, that's where you have to say, well, okay, my headline, obviously, if, if per, person A doesn't want to go past like six lines of my copy, headline doesn't make any sense. So let's go, you know? So that's, that's, that's very interesting. I'm curious, like for, you know, you, you mentioned earlier at the beginning that you had, you know, a couple of things going on and you mentioned also an email list. Um, and again, the email list is something that everybody's doing lately. I'm hearing a lot about this, but you, yours has been around for a really, really long time. Seven, seven years is like, is ions in terms of, of, uh, of, of time in terms of running an email list. Right. Um, First, I'm curious, why did you start the email list? Second, how do you get people to want to be on your list? And like, is there a specific um, like CTA that you have constantly for your for your list? Or is it just general, you just want to share your thoughts? Right. Uh, I started the email list because I wanted to create a daily writing habit. And I thought it might be a forcing function. Okay. So I committed to, so, okay, I'm going to send daily email. And I did that for like, I can't remember. I did it without missing a streak for like, I don't know how many years it was. Oh, and wow. then like I took a break because like eventually you get burnt out because unless, unless like you use super hardcore about sending a daily email, eventually you start to phone it in. And that's not, that's not good for you. And it's no good for the subscriber as well. Yeah. So then, at, at, then I, I re- sort of reduced it to like three emails a week for a long time. Or, or just like one or two emails a week, just sending an email when I had something to say. Uh, but now I'm back up to back up to emailing daily again. Uh, for some, I don't know why I decided to pick. You it have more to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and as far as promoting your email list, like if you if you have a free a free list, um, I mean you can you can go the quantity route where you're just trying to get as many subscribe, subscribers as possible. The way most people do it right now on on social media at least like i'm i'm on twitter mostly uh and so what you people will do is like they'll auto plug their newsletter on uh under their one under one of their tweets that's performing well 
Um, uh, and so it's, you just drop the link to the newsletter under your con under your regular content. Okay. Um, and get, you get people to sign up that way. Um, and there's like different different ways to grow your newsletter now. Like so, for example, if you're on ConvertKit or Beehive, there's like a lot of rec- recommendation engines uh, to recommend other people's newsletters, and you can grow that way. Okay. Um, uh, so I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to grow your list, but for like for me, for my list, I've actually taken down all of the opt-in forms. Now the only way to get on the list is if you're a customer or a client or a member of Coffee Skills. Um, so you're making it more wanna... exclusive to make it harder, so people really want to be on that list. So your your strategy is not just anybody; it's just you want people, let's say, that are buyers that are spending money with you, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because okay. um, after a while, what's going to happen is um, you have like usually what happens is you have a like a lot very large list of like freebie seekers um and you convert you try to convert like w- w- some percentage of that into customers which is fine if you run an info product business and you know uh you're just trying to get as much volume as possible but in my case i run like you know i, ha- I have i run a consulting business mainly uh and then you know coaching business uh, as a side as a side thing and so my business is based more on like relationships. So I'm I'm okay having a much smaller list that's uh, that's you know filled with like buyers. Okay. Uh, and also like you tend to find that the like when they're on, like when they're on the list for free, they tend to not engage as much the way you like that that you the way you want them to engage. Uh, so like I try to track the engagement by like replies and then clicks over opens, right? So yeah. when you have a lot of a ton of free subscribers on the list, like they don't care, like they'll read the email, they won't read the email. You know, you ask them to reply, uh, you know, just to get some engagement going, and they they won't care. And so what I've what I've done is like recently I sent it through like a super aggressive like reactivation campaign. I sent them like four emails a day for five days, and like you find that seventy percent of the list like literally does not give a fuck. <laughs> Like they like they're getting four emails a day and they're they're so not bothered. They give zero fucks so much that they won't even unsubscribe. Oh wow. Uh, oh, if you like, sent me four emails a day and I would not I was not interested, you're getting that unsubscribe, man. Exactly. <laughs> that is one so, surefire way to get an unsubscribe. Exactly. So like just imagine like you have like 70% of your list cares so little that even if you send them four emails a day, they won't even bother to unsubscribe. So like you want those people off of your list as fast as possible so like now they're in like the sunset sunset campaign and eventually once they get like turned to inactive like i'm going to delete them yeah it's like you don't want those people on your list like they're let let me let me ask a question just kind of interject here like in your type of business um maybe in my type of business i'm more of a b2b you're more of a b2b as well like for the the consulting side like i get that like same thing with me i'm like i don't i wouldn't want to be sending uh information about merchant accounts and different conversion tactics to like random people that don't even that got on my list by mistake cuz who cares right they're never going to have a business like what's the difference and it's the same thing i find like if i take it to like my youtube channel uh and, and the podcast and so forth i i have the same strategy as you at, at one point i was like i have to post this many days to do this da 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 and then you do run out of steam in a sense of like I don't have anything to say this week. Why am I just going to say something for the sake of saying it? Which is, I took a hiatus from the podcast for a couple of months this summer because I was like, I just, I just need a little bit of a break. I don't, I don't have anything particularly that I'm passionate about saying right now. And then I come back to it and I post an episode when I feel like I want to talk to somebody. 
And then I'm like, look, if people want to listen to them, they want. And then if I don't post every week, I'd rather have good content than crappy content consistently. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, getting, getting to the point of that, of the, of the list is, um, you know, for a B2C company, let's say selling supplements or coaching or like low end, like kind of small ticket coaching and stuff like that, uh, BizOp, let's call them BizOp products. Wouldn't it be a good idea to have an inflated list, even if it's yeah. not necessarily people with, with that are buying? Or do you think that still, if people are not buying w- within a certain amount of time, it's just better to kick them off? Um, so, I mean, it depends, right? Uh, like if you if you don't care about having because eventually at some point you're gonna stop emailing the unengaged subscribers. Like if you if you you know tag your engagement email engagement properly, yeah. uh, and if you have like engagement tagging automation set up properly, eventually you're going to exclude those people from your list. But you might not get rid of them completely. You might not delete them, but you're just gonna stop emailing them and just email the most engaged segment of your list anyway. Okay. Right. So you don't have to delete them. You just have to stop emailing them and only focus on the most engaged engaged segment. Because at some point, those inactive inactive subscribers might reactivate. And so you can you can even do that. Like you can keep the inactive subscribers on your list, and then from time to time, maybe once a month, maybe once every three months, you send them some sort of reactivation email and see how many of those people you can reactivate. And that that works as well. So, so that's more for like a B2C environment, like, because I, I'm looking at you, Gap Canada, like Gap Canada literally emails me like seven times a day, every day. I'm like, what the hell are they email? How many freaking jogging pants can I buy from Gap? Like I buy my kids clothes from the Gap because, you know, it's just easy. It's fast or whatever. And I regret every single time I make an order because then for like literally six months, I'm getting seven emails a day. And I am going to say that I don't delete those and I don't unsubscribe because, you know, there's going to be that one time that I do want that coupon to buy my son's, you know, jogging pants. So I just keep them around. But it is fucking as annoying as hell. And at the same time, like I've gone through their preferences and said, oh, just email me once a week. They don't give a shit. They still email me seven times a day. They're like, yeah, I don't care. You didn't unsubscribe. We're going to send you seven emails. But, you know, kind of wrapping this back to the point is I hate that I get emailed so much from them. I want to unsubscribe. I change preferences to like once a week or once a month or whatever. They still send me and then I end up being a buyer anyway. You know what I mean? Even though they annoy me, I end up, that's why I'm saying for a B2C, I think that sometimes... There could be a case of like, there's going to be that one time that you're going to email somebody and be, yeah, I'm going to buy this skin cream or I'm going to buy this supplement or whatever. I feel like with a B2B type thing, it's 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 more rare, right? Like it's just not, you know, usually it's more thousands of dollars of spend on these types of lists versus like 50, $100, whatever. So, um, so it's interesting that you say you kind of like get them off your list in the sense of like, they're not engaged, but then you might want to, come back to them three months, six months down the line to try to get them to, to buy. I think I feel, I feel just like the, the, the first inclination that I would have is I would probably not want to get rid of anybody who subscribed in the first place, unless they just said I'm unsubscribing. If they haven't, you don't know, right? Like people can, life can change. And all of a sudden, maybe I want to buy a pair of jogging pants every week. You know what I mean? Like who knows? right? Um, but it, it is interesting to, to, to hear that, um, you're being very selective in your email list. Cause I find, um, 
just in the marketing game and in closing for you, I'm just curious, like the sale, the way of selling things, I feel is transitioning a little bit more. And, and it's something that, you know, I find even in my business, I feel like I'm giving a lot of content, a lot of education, a lot of stuff. And I'm almost waiting for people to come to me versus being very CTA focused. Do you find it's the same? Do you feel the same or like, how is, how are things kind of transitioning in the sales cycle in the last couple of years? Um, so we've, I, I've had a bunch of clients that they run sales agencies. Uh, and so what they've found is that what we found is that you need to have like a lot of sales enablement assets, um, especially if you do like phone sales. I don't know how you guys handle your sales, but uh, for if, if you if you run like a like a webinar funnel to book a call uh, and you do like and you do phone sales, you need to have a lot more sales enablement assets, um, both in your marketing and in your follow up, and also for your sales team to hand off to uh, to prospects so that like. Um, you know, if somebody's not qualified or they need some more indoctrination or 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 education, they can they have those assets available. So that's that's what I've seen. Like we've written like we have this thing called like like a seven figure blog post where it's like we have like these really comprehensive, you know, at, you know these the articles or white papers or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, and it basically either describes you know everything that the prospect needs to know in order to make a decision to buy, or it's like a complete list of FAQs with like individual answers for each. And, you know, like for one of the clients, I can, you know, directly point to those, like to two articles that have generated well over seven figures. Cause wow. all we do is like somebody books a call and then before they show up to the call, they say, Hey, uh, thanks for booking a call. Like before you show up, Please read these uh, read these resources because it'll give you a much better idea of who we are and how we do business and you know what you need to do to succeed. And you know they show up to the call pre-sold, right? And then if like uh, like you, you have a YouTube channel, right? Um, this client also like we used to publish like weekly YouTube videos, uh, help them publish uh, YouTube videos every week. And so like you'd have you'd have calls show up where you know, they, they've binge watched like 10 videos on the channel. And then it's just like, you know, I'm ready to get started. Like there's yeah. no sales call. It's just like an order taking call. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that kind of helps, but I also, also feel like a, a people are, you know, more, you see more people turning to this because they haven't, they haven't been able to figure out how to make paid traffic work. And that's like the ultimate thing, right? If you, if you know how to make paid traffic work, like why do you want to be a dancing monkey for like the YouTube algorithm or the Instagram algorithm? Interesting. Um, it's like like if you're <laughs> like if this if the platform is gonna like fuck me anyway, at least I know the price upfront, right? Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm not just gonna you make content just... to get six views. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let me give you a couple of thousand bucks and see if this is actually gonna work, right? Yeah. yeah no, it's I, like I get it. It's like a yeah average. That's the opposite CPM, of what right? I hear, though. That's funny because yeah. I I actually like that now, like. That's why I like doing this podcast. I learned something like if I, my key takeaway is, is actually that because if you can't make paid traffic work, then your organic content probably is not great. Yeah. I mean, uh, you want to do them both, right? So yeah. with this client that I was just talking to you about, right? Um, the reason why he hired me is because he noticed that whenever he would do organic content consistently, his ROAS would go up because he was running paid traffic as well. Yeah. And so he didn't have the time to post consistently. 
So I like we showed up and all we did, like, it was nothing special. Like I wasn't like an amazing copywriter or anything like that. All we did was we posted, we started posting every single day on all of his social platforms and to his email list. Like immediately that tripled his ROAS. He was, he went from like, uh, what was he doing? Um, he, he went from like a four to like a 12 and then he doubled his revenue in 30 days. Right. And then I kept working with that client until they, you know, they went up to like 300 K a month. Um, uh, that was probably one of my longest running clients as well. And so all it is, because it's like the organic feeds the paid and the paid feeds the organic as well, yeah. right? The paid, if if the peop, if the paid traffic doesn't buy immediately, they get put into your little ecosystem of content, right? And then they just hang out doing their due diligence for like six months or whatever, how long they take until they're eventually ready to buy. And what the organic does is that it gives you that brand recognition that give, makes it more likely for somebody to engage with your ad when they see your advertisement. Yeah. Uh, because if I've never seen you before and then suddenly I see an ad for you or your business, I'm I'm less inclined to click than if I've been seeing your YouTube videos pop up in my feed, um, if I'm seeing your content you know, on, on Facebook and things like that. So now when I see a, a, an ad from Maria, oh, hey, it's Maria. I've seen her content. What's what she got? What she got going on? Let me click on this ad. That's, yeah. that's that that's what tend to, tends to happen well that's yeah that's interesting because you know they say it takes like seven times that's the, the last number i heard seven times before somebody feels like you know warm and fuzzy to actually you know f- interact or give you their credit card or, or give you money so uh i i like that approach and i think I, i'm going to take a little bit of this and and implement it for for next year because i've always shied away from paid traffic because it's not my offer is not like a, a consumer product but i think that like you said like i have so much organic content at this point it's like put something out there and they're going to balance each other right people are going to recognize me for my organic content and then cnn be more you know interested maybe in clicking i think my approach before was I was doing pay. I did paid content before I had any organic content. So I was like, who the hell is Maria? What the fuck am I going to buy from her? So, uh, so thank you, Nabil. That was, that was very helpful. Uh, and, you know, also, my media because, team is listening. So they're going <laughs> to, they're going to take some notes. <laughs> and you can also, because you publish a lot of content, you can also just put a little bit of paid spend behind your, your regular content and then just boost the impressions that way. Like if your business is not like, like uh, an immediate sale, you know, if it's more like relationship based, because you're B you're B to B, right? So yeah. all you got to do is you just use that 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 paid spend to increase your your brand awareness or brand recognition, and get yeah. more people like put yourself in front of more people, um, so that when they're ready to buy, you're the first person that comes to mind. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that that's good advice for everybody listening, not just me, but I do appreciate that, that nice uh, piece of consulting right there that we got for free and a nice little nugget. So, I mean, I think this, this, this conversation, uh, has been very, very valuable guys. If you're, if you're listening and you know, you're not a, a U.S. uh, you know, you don't live in the U S you didn't grow up in the U S uh, I mean, just look at Nabil and his success and everything that he's done and, you know, email lists and groups and coaching and writing for some huge names in the industry and so forth like it's possible right like it's just people don't I think sometimes people minimize themselves when they're not in the U.S. Like, how am I going to break through? It's it's just about relationship building, getting into maybe one or two strategic groups. Like for me, uh, you know, I've joined masterminds in the, in the past, but I did do the 2020, um, like, let me join a lot of groups. And I was like, 
I don't even want to attend any of these calls. It's like too much. And it was like starting to take up a lot of my time. So be strategic. And I, I like Nabil's approach. Uh, your, your approach that you mentioned, Nabil, is like, you know, making sure that people actually want to be there, right? So if you're listening, you know, make sure you actually uh, want to be somewhere and want to be in, in this group is actually makes sense for you. So anyway, long, long conclusion is um, I hope a lot of you got a lot of value as I did. I didn't think I was going to get specific tips for my business and I did. Um, so thank you so much Nabil for sharing everything. We're going to drop down some links of how you can get in touch with Nabil, uh, how you can learn more about his mastermind group, how you can get on his email list, maybe if he lets you, because he might not. Uh, and obviously if you want to work with Nabil, uh, how you can get in touch with him because his copy is, uh, is very, very solid. And again, it transcends any culture or any, any, um, gender or anything. Right. So that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, the sign of a good copywriter. So thank you Nabil so much for, for your time. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.